Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here on this uh, beautiful Sunday summer morning. Um, well, uh, let's get started. Um, as Christians, we acknowledge God's sovereignty, and we acknowledge that He can do anything and that nothing is impossible with God. We all agree to that, right? Yeah, all right. But for a lot of us, we give intellectual assent to that. It means we, we know it here, but you know, how much do we believe it right down here in our hearts? Um, we believe that God's will is accomplished in many ways and that his, uh, his will will be accomplished no matter what. And this also comes with occurrences of, supernatural, uh, of the supernatural. God is supernatural, so we should expect him to operate in supernatural ways, right? So this is where being a Christian becomes a little difficult. And for some of us, uh, it even becomes a little bit weird. Um, because we, as Christians, live at the intersection of the natural and the supernatural. We live at the intersection of the natural world that we can see and the supernatural realm or the spiritual realm that we can't see. And we live right there at the crux of that. Before we were believers, we were just natural men and women. As Romans points out, we were of of body and soul. That's a natural man. But when we become believers, we become united with God's spirit and we become spiritual beings, or stated differently, which we don't usually hear, we're actually supernatural beings. We don't think of ourselves that way, but that's really what we are. And, you know, I understand this, and it's for this reason that I love the book of Acts. I I love going through the book of Acts. It's probably the book that I've gone through the most in the Bible uh, time and time again, because from beginning to the end, it's the story of ordinary men and women who, empowered by this spiritual nature, go out and do things that are impossible. They go out and do things that are just um, crazy in so many ways, as we've seen in the book of Acts. And we see God's supernatural hand working with them in all that they're doing. And they're open to that, and they're moving and walking in this supernatural realm helping God to accomplish his will, his will in the natural realm. So today we're going to look at Acts chapter 8 and the story of Philip and the eunuch. And we're, not going, to, we're going to see that this isn't just an isolated story, but it's a story about Philip and Philip walking in obedience to God and accomplishing a part, his part, in a greater story that's God's story. We're going to see that God's story is an overarching story whose end is already known and whose end end has already been accomplished. And this account of Philip and the Ethiopian is just one scene in God's story, but it powerfully illustrates the sovereignty of God. It also illustrates the faithfulness of God's prophetic word and the supernatural hand of God at work. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Can we get up there? All right, there we go. 
follow along with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come, come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet speaking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, Here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So that's the story, the passage in the second half of Acts chapter 8. And the passage begins and the passage ends with divinely guided and empowered outreach. Outreach in the beginning, outreach in the end, God's power working in the beginning, God's power working in the end. I love this story. And it starts out as Philip is visited by an angel. How many of you here in this room have been visited by an angel in the last year? Okay, I didn't see any hands. Some of you are embarrassed to say so. The story ends as Philip is supernaturally transported 30 miles to another location. And all in between, Philip is being guided and led by the Holy Spirit in everything that happens in between. So in the beginning of the story, Philip meets this angel, and the angel tells Philip, head south on the desert road. Kind of interesting. That's all he gets. No further instructions, no what to do when you get there, what to look for. You know, there's a number of questions you can imagine that Philip had. All he gets is head south on the desert road. So I don't know what you would do, but Philip simply obeyed. The text just says then, he started out. He took off. The angel said, go south on the desert road, and off goes Philip. He didn't seek counsel. He didn't go and check with his friends and say, can we pray together? I want to talk about this instruction I got. Should we go? 
He didn't need counsel. He was visited by an angel. The angel told him exactly what to do. And we can infer from this that Philip knew that it was an angel with authority, and he just said, yes, I'll go. On his way, so he's walking on this road, and it's a desert, by the way. I don't think he would have been that happy to just sort of start out in the middle of the day on the desert, walking in the desert, but he does. He starts walking in the desert, and the text says, on his way, he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch. an official in charge of the treasury. So he's an important guy. Let's read verses 27 to 29 again. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The first thing to note in this passage, this man is important. He's really important. The text notes that he has a chariot, which is impressive enough because most most people in that day, of course, would have walked on foot. And this chariot was probably more like what we would think about in the Old West as a covered wagon, right? He's not going from Jerusalem to two towns away. He's from Ethiopia. That's like 2,000 miles away. I Googled it. (laughs) It's a long way. That's like, you know, from here to Dallas, right? So, you know, he's going to do this, and it's not going to be a small chariot like we think of a Roman chariot. It's going to be big enough to carry not only his stuff, because he's got, you know, six months worth of stuff to bring with him, um, but he's also got his entourage, right? He's an important guy. He's not going to travel without an entourage, particularly traveling through dangerous wilderness areas like the desert. He's going to have protection. He's going to have people with him. So he's got a lot going on here. The eunuch reports to the queen. He's an important official. He's in charge of all the money. He's in charge of the treasury. This guy is the Alan Greenspan of Ethiopia, right? He is an important guy if you think Alan Greenspan's important. (laughs) I do. (laughs) But this brings up another point. The Ethiopian is a eunuch. And for all of you unfamiliar with the term, a eunuch is a man who uh, does not have uh, all or part of his genitals. So in the Spanish, that would be no cojones. Um, Literally. So that's what a eunuch is. I know not all of you knew that. (laughs) Jesus had something to say about eunuchs in Matthew chapter 19. Interestingly enough, (laughs) you may not have picked up on that. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says this, For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Eunuchs were often made to be eunuchs so that they could serve in the presence of the royal court, in the presence of the king with his queen, or in this case, in the presence of the queen. So it kind of makes sense that 
the person that you would have in charge, the person who would be around all the time, to make them more trustworthy, that you would make them a eunuch. The kid. <laughs> Eunuchs, for the same reason, were also entrusted in many kingdoms with management of the king's harem, right? Taking care of all the king's concubines. The king could trust the eunuch with his concubines. They would not be tempted. So the eunuchs were very, very well looked upon for their trust and what they were entrusted with in the kingdom. And this is a great example. And it's really interesting that this happens in the natural world, in natural kingdoms, because God has a similar view of eunuchs with respect to his kingdom. And we saw that in Matthew chapter 19. He said, there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. What he means is that God provides special honor to those who choose a single and celibate lifestyle in order to devote themselves to kingdom work and prayer. So that's a little bit about eunuchs. A very, very special place reserved by God for eunuchs. And you're going to see this play out in the rest of the story. So clearly, um, the man is on his way home from Jerusalem where he was going to worship. The Ethiopian eunuch is probably a proselyte or a Gentile convert to Judaism. And it's, he's from Ethiopia, so it's likely, you say, well, why is he a Jew so far in Ethiopia, you know, not part of the, you know, the Jewish race, as it were? Um, it's likely, well, this is my guess, that Judaism was brought back to Ethiopia by the Queen of Sheba, after she visited Solomon many years before, and that that influence stayed there in Ethiopia. And this is borne out by this guy coming to Jerusalem to worship. But it's unclear how or exactly where he was worshiping in Jerusalem because he had two things going against him. One, he was not really a Jew's Jew. He was a proselyte a Gentile Jew, so therefore he would have only been able to come into the court of the Gentiles in the temple and not into the, to the temple where the other Jews would be to worship. And then he had another thing going against him was that he was a eunuch. And I'm sure you recall from Deuteronomy and Leviticus um, that eunuchs are deformed and not considered worthy to be uh, entering into the temple. And we saw that, if you remember, we talked about Peter and the lame man at the gate, the lame man was not considered worthy to go into the temple. That's why they laid him at the, at the gate, at the entrance to the temple. So he had these two things going against him. Um, so between being a Gentile and a eunuch, he was at best a second-class Jew and at worst an outcast. Uh, and at worst an outcast. So there he is. He's on his way home reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. He has concluded his business in Jerusalem. He thinks he's done. His religious box is checked off. He's gone to Jerusalem. But he's still interested. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. And little does he know that the best part of his journey is just about to happen, like right in this moment. So Philip is walking along, and he sees this chariot. He's been probably walking along the road. We don't know how long. Could have been short. Could have been a long time. I imagine it probably wasn't that long because it's pretty hot in the desert, uh, but I don't know. 
And Philip's walking along. He sees this chariot, this carriage, and this entourage. And the Holy Spirit says, Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So the chariot's moving, so he had to run over. And he goes over, and he's walking along the chariot, poking his head in. And he can hear the eunuch reading from Isaiah, what we, just, what we were just talking about. And I don't know if you, you, even if just as we were reading those scriptures, or if you've read Isaiah, it's tough. It's dense material. It's tough to get through. And, and the eunuch is reading this, and Philip comes alongside. He hears him reading it, and he leans in and says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you have a clue at all about what you're, what you're reading out loud here? And then the Ethiopian's response is amazing. And it's very telling about where his heart was at that time. Because, as, you know, he could have said, because he's a very important guy, he could have said, how dare you approach my carriage? You go away. Or upon being asked, do you understand what you're reading? This intellectual and obviously educated guy could have said, what, do I look stupid? No, he didn't do that. But no, he's humble, and despite his education and intellect, he admits that he cannot understand these scriptures unless somebody explains them to him. And so he invites Philip into the chariot. Now, Philip understood that there's a big difference between reading Scripture and understanding Scripture. We can be taught by others, and we can also be taught by the Holy Spirit. But the Ethiopian in this situation was just, he, he needed help, and he needed somebody to come, and Philip was divinely placed for this moment, divinely placed to explain the Scriptures to this Ethiopian, this important man. Then the eunuch asks a great question. This is a great question. Very insightful, actually. Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? That's a great question. In verse 35, in the NIV uh, that we read, it says this. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. But I noticed as I was studying, looking at the, I don't know if you are geeks like me, and you look at all the different versions there are to compare scriptures, and yeah, look, I see some heads nodding out there. I'm not the only geek in here. Jeremy's here. Thank you. Um, in the ESV, it adds three more words. And there it is, right? It says, then Philip opened his mouth. And the rest is pretty similar. It says, in beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And so the ESV, and the King James Version, by the way, I don't know if there's any people left who are King James diehards, but I used to be. I'll tell you why I like this version. There's a few reasons. Number one, you can't start to witness to someone unless you open your mouth, right? Does that make sense? How many times you sit there, you know you've got to say something. It just doesn't happen. You have to open your mouth, right? It points to Mark 13.9. I like this about it too. Mark 13.9, 
where Jesus was telling the disciples that they would share the gospel before kings and governors and that the Holy Spirit would give them the words to speak. Let's take a look at Mark 13, 9 to 11. It says, On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So opening your mouth in faith and speaking what God gives you to say is the basis of the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's the Spirit that gives utterance. But the Spirit can't give utterance. The Spirit can't tell us what to speak if we don't open our mouths, right? So anyway, that's why I like that version, adding the open, opened his mouth part. Moving on, Philip is sitting now with the Ethiopian eunuch, and he is, in a sense, a governor of Ethiopia. He's one of the top men. Of, there's the queen, and then she has people working for her. He is, in all essence, a governor. And so Philip was probably sitting there recalling these words of Jesus. You're going to be sitting with governors and kings. Don't worry, I'll give you the words to say. And that's why I think it's important that those words opened his mouth were there. So Philip opened his mouth. And he also might have recalled Jesus' words from Acts 1, verse 8, which says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as Philip records, remembers that, he must have been beside himself with excitement. He's like, all right, I was in Jerusalem. I was witnessing in Jerusalem. Definitely been in Judea walking around witnessing people. And I just spent the last, I don't know, three weeks, six weeks, two months, whatever, in Samaria Remember last week we heard Nate talk about uh, uh, Philip and Samaria and, and Simon the magician, right? He's like, I've, I've just been in Samaria. Here's where it gets exciting. Ethiopia at that time was considered the end of the earth. It was considered the edge of civilization. So he's realized this guy's from Ethiopia. Okay, I'm supposed to preach in Judea, Ju- Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Oh my gosh, this guy's a governor. Serves the queen. He's from the ends of the earth. This is, this is important. He must have been pretty excited. If I was Philip, I would have been excited. Um, so, Philip tells the eunuch the good news of Jesus. No doubt, in a manner, that would have explained what was in Isaiah, on the one hand, because the guy was inquiring, of course, what all that meant that it was pointing to Jesus, of course. And he also would have explained all that in a way, guided by the Holy Spirit, that would have just pierced right to his heart, because that's what the Holy Spirit does at the end of the day. It's just, he finds our heart. So we know Philip was open to what the Spirit wanted him to do, and he would have told him a story of redemption, that God's story is a story of redemption. He would have told him, that this story started with the fall of man when Adam sinned, and two things happened. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden where they were kicked out from the presence of God. And another thing happened 
when they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They lost the spirit of God. They were body, soul, and spirit. But after the fall, Adam and Eve lost their spiritual nature and their ability to converse with God and their ability to be in the presence of God. Being kicked out of the Garden of Eden like that sometimes is referred to as paradise lost. And this is the beginning of the story. And the whole rest of the story, the whole rest of the Bible is about a redeemer who will restore his kingdom on earth and ultimately restore the earth to paradise regained. And paradise regained, we don't think of it this way, but the earth restored is what we will know as heaven. Not puffy clouds and wings. The earth will be restored and we will live here on earth forever, free from sin, free from sickness, free from death, and forever in the presence, we will live forever in the presence of our Savior, our King, our Redeemer, and our God. Amen? This is good. This is what we're here for. But the Old Testament is a story about how God again reveals himself to this lost people, how he shepherds them and teaches them in the way of righteousness. He spoke to his people through his prophets, and he revealed himself in many ways in the natural. You can think of the Red Sea parting, the Jordan River stopping up the waters so that they could cross the Jordan River, the pillar of fire. You could go on and on. God revealed himself in many ways to his people through the supernatural into the natural. But mostly, the Old Testament points. It keeps pointing and pointing and pointing to Jesus, the Redeemer, the Messiah who is to come to restore his kingdom and to restore his people to an intimate relationship with God. And this is exactly what Isaiah was reading about, what the eunuch was reading about in Isaiah chapter 53, that Jesus was the Lamb of God being ready to be sacrificed for the people. And that's what Isaiah 53 is all about. And as we enter the New Testament, we find a man who is revealed to be the Messiah. The New Testament is about Jesus, the Messiah who actually shows up. He is the sent one, the one sent from God. And he is an unlikely king because he's a king with a different kind of mission. He didn't have that mission to restore Israel to political greatness. He had a a mission to reunite man with God or God with man. And to restore, this is the big part, and to restore to man that which was lost at the fall. The very spirit of God that was living in him that was lost. That man would be restored as spiritual body, soul, and spirit. Jesus, the sent one, lives this perfect and sinless life and offers his life as a sacrifice as the perfect and spotless lamb of God as a payment for the sins of humanity, payment for our sins. His apparent failure as a king through death on the cross was instead what? A great victory over Satan and a great victory over death. Jesus' place as Messiah and king and son of the living God was proven by his resurrection from the dead. Where he was seen by many over a period of time before being lifted up from earth to heaven. 
And Philip was probably speaking all of these things to the eunuch, explaining the scriptures and bringing these gospel truths to him. And this is where he probably brought it home for the eunuch. He would have said, when Jesus died on the cross, at that very moment that Jesus was on the cross, there was something going on in the temple. That holy of holies, that place where only one Jew per year could go, where the Jews weren't even allowed, and this eunuch certainly would never have been allowed to go near. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain, the veil that covered and separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple and kept the people out was torn from top to bottom at the moment that Jesus died on the cross. This was impossible for for one This curtain was too high. It was like 40 feet, 60 feet in the air. I can't remember, but it was too high. And the other thing, it was made to be so thick and heavy. I mean, it was meant to keep people out. It would have been impossible to be torn. God's supernatural hand sliced that curtain open and opened the Holy of Holies as a sign that we who were outside and and unworthy of being in the presence of God, could now, through Jesus and through the blood of Jesus, enter into the presence of God. And again, this would have had special meaning for the eunuch who was just excluded from so much, but now he could be included into the kingdom of God and included into this this greatness of being able to go into God's presence. When we declare our dependence on God, when we declare that we are sinners and that we need his righteousness, and when we declare declare that Jesus is Lord in our lives, then we are born again of God's spirit and we become what we were meant to be all along as humans, body, soul, and spirit, reunited and reconciled to God. Have you declared your dependence upon God? Have you cried out to God to become one with him? This can happen for you if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord in your life. If you do this, you will become born again of God's spirit, and God's spirit will be in you. This is the gospel, that the sin that separated you from God can be erased by Jesus' blood that was spilled on the cross, and that you can know an intimacy with God by being born again of God's spirit taking on, once again, as believers, we take on this supernatural nature. The eunuch clearly responded to all of this with the resounding, yes, sign me up. And as they were traveling along, they come to some water, and he asked if there's any reason why he shouldn't be baptized. He's clearly excited about everything that's happened. He's clearly excited and can see that it was a divine appointment that Philip would come him, come to him, reveal the scriptures to him, and give him the truth of the gospel. That was not lost on the eunuch at all. He must have been excited about that. But what he must have really been excited about was he would have made that declaration that, yes, I want Jesus in my life. I want what you have. And he now has Jesus in his heart. He must have been so excited about that. So when he comes to the water, he's like, hey, I want to be baptized. Let's, uh, let's do this. 
But in another divinely appointed moment, you see God's hand just working and working and working through the story. They're in the desert. They're on the desert road. What does the word desert mean? No water. Right? I don't know if it really means that, but like in the desert. I didn't look up the definition. Sorry. But in the desert, there's like no water. And here they come at exactly the moment that they need water. Like God had this planned out from the beginning. Oh, <laughs> just, oh look, there's water. I could get baptized. Okay, let's, let's do it. So Philip baptizes the eunuch. They go down to the water, and Philip baptizes the eunuch. Then an amazing thing happens. As soon as they come up out of the water, the text says, Philip is taken away by the Spirit. Let's look at verse 39. When they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip was transported. He was taken away and dropped off in another location. I know for a fact, this is where the Star Trek guys got the beam me up Scotty idea, right from this text. It was really like that, though. That's what like, would have happened. You know, Philip would have been standing there. They come up out of the water. And he goes, mm, you know, kind of like beam me up. And he's transported 30 miles away. He ends up at the coastal town called Azotus, formerly called Ashdod, and previously, by the way, home to the Philistines. Verse 40, the last verse in this section says this, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I don't think Philip missed a beat. 30 miles away. Okay, Holy Spirit, what's next? Keep preaching. Okay, off he goes. We don't know that much, but you know that that's what he was doing. Philip was that kind of guy. Well, you gotta, I was asked, I don't know if you asked this question, but I was asking myself this question. Why was Philip even taken away from the Ethiopian eunuch? And why so quickly? It could be that in the flesh, Philip was considering traveling with the eunuch to continue to teach him, and possibly he was considering becoming an evangelist and teacher in Ethiopia, that he would be the guy to bring the gospel to the rest of the world. He might have been thinking about the Great Commission in uh, Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But by taking Philip away from the eunuch, exactly at that moment where that's sort of the deal has been sealed. He's been baptized, and the eunuch is now in God's hands. God is sending two clear messages. The first one is this. God's saying, I am in control. I'm in control of Ethiopia. I'm in control of the gospel there. And my hand will guide the spread of the gospel in Ethiopia. And my servant, the eunuch, will take care of what I need to be done to spread my word and to spread my kingdom in Ethiopia. And the second thing that he would have said, Philip, I'm in control of you. And as long as you are willing to obey me, I will place you where I need you. 
And the key there is as long, I don't know if God said this, but this is the principle. As long as you're willing to obey God, God will put you where he needs you. He didn't even give Philip the option to consider anything else because he knew, God knew that Philip's heart was so in tune with what he wanted him to do that he just took him away and put him to the next place. So that's the end of the story of Philip and the eunuch. But let's wrap up by summarizing some of the the themes that we see in this story. First of all, number one, I don't think I have these up on the screen, but uh, God is sovereign and his purposes will be accomplished. And the great and exciting part about God's sovereignty and his will and his purposes being accomplished, like he doesn't need us. He really doesn't need us to do anything. But he chooses to use us. And he chooses us to involve us in carrying out his plans. That's just awesome. That's number one. Number two, God is spirit and God is supernatural. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and we as spiritual beings are part of a spiritual kingdom. This means that we get to take part in the supernatural, cooperating with and being empowered by God's spirit. Let's take a look at one of my favorite verses, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is awesome, that as we come to know God through his word, he gives us everything we need to live a godly life. But also, as it clearly says here, we become participants in the divine nature. As you leave here today, ponder about that. Go and take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and see how you're doing in that. Obedience, the next point is obedience is a key ingredient to experiencing the fullness of a spirit-led life. Obedience is a key ingredient to experiencing the fullness of a spirit-led life, to being a partaker of the divine nature. If you don't say yes to what the Spirit of God is telling you to do, God's not going to override your free will. But to be empowered to do the impossible, you have to say yes to being asked to do the impossible, right? Does that make sense? I don't know how many times that has happened to me. I'll give you one very short story. Um, I'm going to have to give it the, the, the extremely short version. But I used to live in Singapore, and uh, I started a, a, an oil trading desk there. And so, like, I was the boss. And I hired a guy to work for me who was 10 years older than me. Uh, his name was C.S., Chinese guy, military guy, very hard, very tough. And um, C.S. worked for me. And something happened throughout our trading day where C.S. thought I gave away a secret. He thought that I gave away one of our big trading secrets, and he told everybody in the office. 
And it was a disaster. For three days, I was just under the evil eyeball of everybody, pushed aside. Nobody would talk to me. CS, the guy who worked for me, would just trash me every day. So one night, as I'm praying about this, on my knees at home, I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? Lord, what am I going to do? This is horrible. This, this can't be worse. And the Lord said, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go into work tomorrow, talk to CS, and ask him for forgiveness. I'm like, Lord, I can't ask him for forgiveness. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do what they said that I did. It's like, I don't care. You go in tomorrow and you ask CS for forgiveness. So the next day, I walked into the office. I said, CS, I want to talk to you. And I went into a conference room, closed the door. There's more to this, but I basically I said, CS, I don't know what I've done to offend you. I don't know what happened. I said, I am so sorry that I've caused you trouble. Please forgive me. I am so sorry that I've caused you heartache in any way. I don't know what I did wrong, but please. And right before my eyes, this hard, tough military guy melted in front of my eyes. And he even started crying at one point. And he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it's the Holy Spirit that did that and the Holy Spirit that led me to that. Impossible. I never would have thought of that. I never would have done that. I had to be obedient to that. It was very difficult to be obedient to that. Obedience is not just doing what you are told, but it is taking a step of faith, as we saw in that story. It is obeying and moving forward even when you don't understand what is happening. That's exactly what, Phil, what happened to Philip. He was just told to go on the road, start walking, and he went. He was like, Lord, I'm going, awaiting further instructions. Just tell me what to do when I get there. That's, he's an awesome example. The last point I want to make as we wrap up here is that we need to be willing to operate in the supernatural. We're Christians. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Our lives should be characterized by the supernatural. Philip in this story is a great example. If you take away the angel, you take away the Star Trek transporter, it's still a great story of Philip being guided and led by the Holy Spirit step by step. This is a great example for us. Is your life characterized by the supernatural as Christian? If it's not, I'm going to ask you why not. If you don't know why you're not walking with God in this way, I'm going to ask you to sign up for redemption groups in September, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> because some of the things that can, there are things that can get in the way of God working in your life. Some of the things that can get in the way, very simple questions. Do you believe that you can live a life like Philip or Peter or Paul? Or are these guys just like out there? They're apostles. That happened. Personally, that's the way I want to live. I want to be like Peter. I want to be like Philip. I like Peter. If you don't believe that, you're not going to experience it. The next thing I would ask you, are you afraid to move in that direction? Is your, uh, uh, if, if, if you are, ask yourself if you really trust God. God will ask you to do crazy things. We know that. Like, we know that. Are you listening for that direction, right? And when he does ask you to do this crazy thing, will you trust him 
for an amazing result and an amazing outcome. The last question I have for you is, have you surrendered yourself fully to God? If your agenda is more important than God's agenda, you will not likely be hearing from him. Effectively, if your agenda is more important than God's agenda, it means that you're harboring idols. Again, sign up for redemption groups in September, and we'll talk about that. Genesis, we are knit together in the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. When one is hurting, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And I encourage you to ask God about these things. And I ask, him, I ask you to ask him about the kinds of things that he wants you to be doing in the big picture and in every moment by moment, because God wants to guide you and direct you in every single moment of your life. God's spirit is alive in you, he's alive in me, and he's alive in this church. Let's live lives that are marked by the supernatural. Let's be partakers of the divine nature, having our hearts and minds transformed into the likeness of Christ, and that our prayers and our actions will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great example of Philip and the, uh, and the eunuch. I thank you for how Philip was just so obedient to everything you had him to do. Lord, I ask you to um, embolden us, to help us to trust you, to listen and to move. Lord, you have so much work to do. These days here are so evil You need the light of your gospel and the light of your truth going forth. Lord, I just pray that every person sitting here will be willing to say yes to what you have for them to do. Lord, I just want to see Genesis explode by your Holy Spirit, Lord, just by your goodness springing forth from us, Lord, that the truth is coming from our mouths, Lord, that lives are being transformed through the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Lord, help us to be all that we can be in you. Amen. So thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I just, again, invite you to ponder these things this week. Uh, they're weighty things and big things, but uh, uh, as you can tell, things that I'm excited about. As we go into worship, um, I invite you to come to the table for communion where we remember the blood that was shed by Jesus for our sins, to cover our sins. And we remember that by partaking of the wine or juice. And we remember, by taking the bread, we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and that in that, by remembering that and by believing in Jesus, there is healing for us. In our hearts, in our souls, in our bodies, there's healing for us. So um, I invite you to do that as we, as we get started. Thanks, guys.